Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's the dawn of a new era this morning as there's going to be no political conferences to cover, no new Labour policy to reveal and no more splits of the Tory party to get worked up about. Well, not until next week anyway. This show will be thankfully politics-free because there's so much more going on, which is so much more important. First up, we're asking why the relatives of the 21 victims of the IRA pub bombers aren't being given the right in new inquests to find out the names of those responsible, considering that army veterans in their 70s are facing prosecution for their actions during the troubles in Northern Ireland, it makes the High Court's decision even more callous. We'll be talking to the people behind a campaign to get at the truth. 03444991000. Dawn Neeson is here uh, and she'll be telling us why women are now 40% more likely to cheat on their partners than they were in the 1990s and we'll be finding out just why being a girl guide has become even more complicated than it used to be. The clue surely is in the name. 03444991000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham and Dawn Neeson on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Dawn, it's time to say a very good morning to you and good welcome morning, to Mike. Thursday, which looks nice outside. It's, it's lovely. It's Thursday. We're one day closer to the weekend. One day closer a to the nice weekend. weekend. Another day closer to yet another column of yours. Thank you. Yes. One yesterday for the Daily Star, another yep. one coming up next week for Women's Own. Women's Own magazine. It's all yep. happening. Every Tuesday. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Oh, good. Well, busy. Maybe, busy. maybe we'll be able to provide you with some interesting kind of material on this show because we're going to talk about girl guides coming up in we a little are while. Who seems to have forgotten the fact that they are actually called the girl guides. There is a there is a bit of confusion mm. over this whole girl guide scout yes. transgender issue. There is, that is like... and it's one of those delicate issues. That you have to be careful what it you is say. Very delicate. But I'm going to say this for fear of uh, uh, offending anybody later on in the show. It's called the Girl Guides. It should be for girls. I know that that may be a ridiculously straightforward thing to say, and people may say, oh, it's more complicated than that, but it isn't really, is it? But defining a girl now is offensive, evidently. Is that because right? Because there was a poster up in Liverpool during mm. the Labour conference where they simply put the definition of being female, a woman, up on the wall as a poster, and it was forced to be taken down because it was offensive. I see. Too transgender. Well, we'll people. get into all that coming up a little bit later on. First up this morning, though, we're going to talk uh, to Julie Hambleton. She uh, is a woman whose sister was killed uh, in the Birmingham pub bombings in 1974. Now, for an awful lot of people uh, listening to this show, they weren't even alive when that happened. Uh, you might have seen a movie starring Daniel Day-Lewis, uh, which was called In the Name of the Father, mm-hmm. of course, which was all about uh, the uh, the Guildford Four, uh, and there was the Birmingham Six. Yeah. You know, there was these bombings that went on when I was growing up in the 70s, you know, as a matter of course, all the time. And, of course, the great problem with the Birmingham pub bombings is that, you know, we don't really know who was responsible. I, I can't um, believe that. And, which is very, very ridiculous at this uh, time. But let's talk to Julie and find out precisely what the problem is because it's all about a high court uh, action which has been brought uh, to keep the names of those responsible secret from even those who were affected mm. directly uh, by this particular atrocity. Julia, very good morning to you. Welcome. Oh, good morning. Thank you. Thank Hiya. you. Thank you very much for joining us. You're with an organisation called Justice for the Twenty One. Twenty one people were killed uh, in that terrible, uh, terrible bombing uh, in Birmingham in 1974 in the tavern in the town. Um, what exactly has been going on uh, most recently, which has caused you such concern about the names of those who might be responsible? Well, to just correct you there, that there was actually uh, three bombs in Birmingham that night. Yeah. 
uh, there was a, another bomb that was planted in the Mulberry bush that killed people. And then there was another bomb that uh, didn't explode uh, on the Hagley Road no. behind the bank. Okay. Um, that, but where 21 people were killed and it left over 200 people with life-changing injuries. We've been fighting for truth, justice and accountability uh, for uh, decades, but it predominantly in the past uh, decade now to uh, bring about uh, truth and justice because we had to fight to get the inquest renewed where we had uh, West Midlands Police uh, hierarchy, their senior management, uh, telling the senior coroner, Mrs Louise Hunt, that she didn't have the authority to resume this inquest. Now, this was 21 people, 21 Brummies, who were murdered in Birmingham. Mm. And this is the, the senior coroner of Birmingham being told by the senior management of Westminster Police that she didn't have the authority to resume the inquest. Right. However, she saw through this, and with uh, new evidence that, and with witness statements coming forward, she said that, yes, not only did she have the authority, but that we could have our inquest resumed. Right. And on the back of that, uh, another coroner took over, a, a retired coroner called uh, Peter Thornton QC, who has since been knighted since he's taken on our inquest. And um, he, uh, in, in an inquest, you get what is called a scope. You get narrow scope and wide scope. Narrow scope is uh, re keeping the amount of information that will be disclosed to a minimal. Wide scope is having it as, as broad a range as you possibly can. Right. We wanted broad scope. He decided to have narrow scope where he decided to exclude the murderers from ever being mentioned in any uh, shape or form in the inquest. And what is his that reasoning was... for that? Does he explain that? Uh, well, his reasoning is that they're saying that it's a, a, um, a state of law, that um, it, it, it is unreasonable to uh, name the perpetrators who committed this heinous crime because that the, the the job of an inquest is to look at the how, what, where and when. But the how is the most uh, uh, pertinent point sure. because the, the, the how is how did they come about their, their, their sources to build the bomb? How then did they build the bomb? How then were they transported and how and who planted the bombs? Without the how, it is impossible to give a full and transparent inquest. It's a bit like a jigsaw puzzle, yes. isn't it? Mm. Well, it is. Uh, and also, I mean, there'll be people listening to this, Julie, saying it's a very long time ago. You know, is it not possible just to kind of move on to, 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 to sort of the, to, to live and let live, as it were? But in the context of what's happening in Northern Ireland, particularly in my in my situation where I'm seeing, you know, the likelihood of more and more British soldiers being prosecuted very possibly for things that they have done during that period. It seems a bit unfair, doesn't it? Well, there are many points that you've raised there, but uh, with reference to moving on, most people who make... Well, it's very rare that people say that, but those who say that have not suffered the, the, the consequences of such a heinous loss. Right. Mm. When your loved one, you see one, one morning... Uh, I was 11 when she was killed. Uh, she didn't live with us. And the only reason why she was going to the pub that night was to hand out um, housewarming parties because she was having a housewarming party because she'd moved into this old house with two of my other brothers. And we were all going because we were still close. And she'd stayed at our home two days before. And I was rushing to go to school because I was always late. Um, my mum said, aren't you going to go and say goodbye to Mackie? 
because um, she was going to have the party on the Friday and the bombs went off on the Thursday. This was the Tuesday. And so, I, oh, I forgot, I forgot. And I went running up the stairs, jumped on the bed and threw my arms around her and, and, and give her a hug and, and said, Dear Friday, Mackie, love you. And that was the last time oh. I saw her alive. Hmm. At least you weren't having a row the last time you saw well, her alive. Well, that's a shocking, so and it's a so shocking sad. memory. But also, your memory is mm. also clearly, yeah. uh, you know, very, very vivid and real for you, mm. Julie. And well, and you're quite right to say that you know you deserve to be given the names. You deserve to have a mm. full inquest in which the jigsaw is no longer a jigsaw. The, the thing I'm about confused about, Julie, is these people have been named, haven't they? They have been named in the past. A Granada Television <laughs> documentary yeah. named four of the yeah. five alleged bombers. Yes, yes. Uh, what, what, what is what is very interesting here is that um, the, the, the then Chief Constable, Chris Sims of Westman's Police, when we eventually had a meeting with him in 2014, now you need to bear in mind that I wrote to him in 2009, wow. demanding from him what he was doing to look for the perpetrators of, the, of England's biggest uh, uh, atrocity of the 20th century in peacetime history, and it still remains the longest unsolved mass murder mm. of England's history. Mm. Um, and he got his chief inspector to write back telling me he's, uh, he hasn't got the time for the likes of you, go away, in essence. So I wrote back telling them how contemptible they both were and they got their death sergeant to write back saying they're both on holiday. And we never, he never responded to my letter for five years. It took him five years to respond to that. And he told us in the meeting we had with him in 2014 that he did have the names of the five in his drawer. And I said to him, but you are the police. He said, oh, yes, we are. And I said, well, why don't you go and investigate? He said, well, we haven't got enough evidence. I said, but that's your job. Your job yeah. is to go looking for evidence. And this is one of the things that has come out in this judgment from the Court of Appeal, is where they said that it's not in the public interest to name the suspects if they, are, if they can be named. Uh, how can it not possibly be in the public interest to name the murderers who come to our city killed with impunity without any fear of retribution? Mm. It appears to many people now, and our supporters are growing exponentially in number, uh, that the bigger the crime, the easier it is for you to get away with it. Yeah. Mm. And do you feel as though the police and, and the authorities generally and even the judicial system is kind of just treating you with scant regard, Julie, in some way? Absolutely. And, and why, I mean, why do you think they are, though? Well, it's utterly disdain. I, I, to add insult to, to, to the injury, um, we didn't know that the uh, decision was going to be announced yesterday. Right. Uh, we were told it was going to be week commencing the 24th. No one told us what day it was going to come out or what time. I had a, a journalist, a very because uh, all journalists are very respectful of our loved ones and they're all respectful to us. And uh, 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 it was Ben Chapman of ITV. He called me and he yeah. says, uh, are you aware that it's coming out? And I said, no. He said, you mean you haven't been told? We said, no. And That's said, shocking. Even the team. We said, no. Uh, and then to add more insults, um, we've had to wait all this time for them to make this decision. This decision, But we've now been told we've, we've got less than 48 hours to make a decision on such a significant issue yeah. um, of whether we're, gonna, um, we're able to appeal. And, and do you have a sort of, you know, a reasonable lawyer that you can call upon? Have you got uh, funds oh, well, for that? I, 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 no, our legal team, KRW Law, are based in Belfast. Right. And they have represented us for nearly four years now, pro bono. 
They are incredible. Our QC, Ashley Underwood, initially, and Judy Kemish, they have represented us pro bono. Hugh Southey, who represented us for this appeal, we did have to raise funds to pay him and also to pay Adam Straw, who won us our judicial review in January because we brought a judicial review against the coroner mm. uh, and his decision to exclude the murderers. And we applied, we've applied for legal aid six times and we've been refused six times. On, on and what grounds, applied, Julie? Do they tell uh, you what uh, grounds? Oh, yes, absolutely. I was just about to tell you um, that the grounds are this. They've said that because our crowdfunding, because we physically go out onto the streets and prostitute ourselves to raise money, and the fantastic working class, law-abiding, tax-paying citizens come to our aid and help us raise money to bring about this judicial review earlier in the year, they help us, helped us to raise over £35,000 because we kept being refused legal aid. The legal aid agency told us that because crowdfunding was going so well, that we should continue along that path. So they're using crowdfunding as a default mechanism to cover at, you know, victims' families' legal costs when the coroner has a bottomless pit of money to dip into and just pay for whatever he needs. So when he appealed our judicial review, uh, we had to find another £35,000. And the football fraternity across the country, in Ireland, in Northern Ireland, across Scotland, Wales, England, uh, have been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, people from Belgium, Spain in particular, America, Australia, Canada, have been buying our badges, our wristbands, our car stickers to help us raise money. But another reason why the Legal Aid Agency told us that they were refusing us legal aid, get this, now remember, they're meant to be impartial and they're meant to be independent. They told us that they saw no merit in our judicial review which makes them judge and jury. Yeah. It's extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, I've got a tweet here from somebody, and I'm going to read it out to you because it seems uh, quite apt considering what you've been saying. And it's Chris who says, British law's brilliant unless you're British. As an ex-member of the same yeah. regiment Dennis Hutchins served in, this shows the double standards that are at work in this country now. Mm. We can't upset the IRA now, can we? I mean, it yeah. seems as though history is kind of becoming reversed in some bizarre way that you know they want to punish soldiers who have yeah. been serving in yeah. northern ireland risking their lives uh, because of what harm they may have mm. supposedly caused uh, to the locals i mean everybody knows the troubles were a terrible time but as i said at the start of the show julie i mean the 70s were very much a period when we were all uh, sort of in fear of being blown up by an ira yeah. bomb Yes, but not when you're in two pubs in, 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 in a city that's got nothing to do no. with, with, with anything. No. These, these were innocent people that went out to meet their families and friends. And what, you have to, what people need to understand is, is that there were people from all heritages that was killed. That, that two of the lads that were killed were of, of Jamaican heritage, yeah. all mm. right? The youngest was only 16. Mm. He was 16. They weren't even in the pubs because they didn't drink. Mm. Right. They were walking past, and their injuries were not to be heard on live radio. Yeah. Um, uh, we've recently seen the um, coroner's report from Maxine's injuries, and the, 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 her injuries were such that she may, she may have been alive for oh, 30 seconds, mm. five minutes. Oh. She, she may have been conscious for that time. And, and I can only talk about Maxine, not the others. Mm. And, and to think that someone with the injuries that my sister had, lying alone oh. in pain, 
having no one around her family, I that is difficult for us to go to bed in our head. And what makes it even more difficult is that it's only since the past five years that our mother told us that she ID'd Maxine. Oh, she gosh. never told us to protect us. And she couldn't identify her because the, 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 the phosphorus from the bomb had melted her hair into her face. Oh. So it's it wasn't awful, possible it? to identify her from her face. I, I, and Julie, the pain in your voice, you're almost making me cry sitting here, to be honest with you, because of all these years on, you feel so strongly. And the fact that your your cause is being ignored and you're being yes. literally just put in a bottom drawer and get back to you in five years' time. And yet the pain that you're getting across on this radio this morning is incredible. It really, I, you know, I've got a sister. I do, I sort of can comprehend what it'd be like to lose her. But what you've been mm. through is just astonishing. Well, the, 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 we've been ignored. We, we're treated with just okay. sheer contempt and, and utter disdain. Yes. There is nobody. Successive governments have continually ignored us. Uh, and, I, and I have to say this. As far as the, government, the British establishment for the past four decades are concerned, if you come from Birmingham, they don't give a toss. Mm. Uh, they don't care about victims of terrorism in any way, shape, Form. Which is absolutely no. disgraceful, in my view. No, you know? I just, I, I, I mean, we've had the Windrush scandal. We've had people yes. resigning over that, yes. but we don't yes. ever hear about this kind of scandal, Julie. Is, is yes. it, Julie, yes. is, is there anywhere that people listening to this now who have been moved by your very emotive interview can go to help you? Is there a website or is there a telephone number yes. that people can uh, call? I will apologise to everybody about our website because we're not. I'm not very techy and. Uh, <laughs> But but uh, we, we do have a website, and uh, we're putting up details about this year's memorial. We also have a GoFundMe site that, if they go to our Twitter account, which is at Justice the Number Four the Twenty One, that 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 is uh, that is um, actually linked. It's pinned uh, as our opening right, uh, tweet. Okay. Uh, if, if they want to uh, help there, or if they want to buy one of our badges, which are three pounds, or a wristband, which is a pound, or a car sticker, which is a pound, they contact us through either our Twitter account or through our um, email address, which is justice for the 21, but justice for the 21, mm-hmm. all one word, at hotmail.co.uk. We will happily send things out. We also have a CD that was um, kindly donated to us by 21 uh, uh, Birmingham Band, uh, where Roy Wood uh, donated a brand new song on there. Uh, we also have Steve Gibbons, we have Quill. We have um, Phil Hatton with Dave Scott Morgan, who was formerly of ELO, who wrote a song called The 21 Today, 21 Yesterday, 21 Tomorrows, um, uh, that, 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 that they can purchase online. Uh, and all the proceeds go to our campaign funds. Uh, but um, it, our point is that it appears to us that we have laws in place to investigate and prosecute uh, murderers, but those in government who legislate these laws don't don't have the backbone or the guts to enforce mm. the very laws that that are implemented. Yeah, mm. it's absolutely awful. It's a terrible yeah. story, Julie. I'm glad that we've been able to highlight yeah, it. And I'm no, hoping. Um, and if you're if you're going to make a decision to appeal this, which I think you can, um, you know, please do um, let us know because we 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 I don't think we should hear the end of this. No, I think we should. I... Uh, 
we should follow this up and make sure that the right thing is done because it's a shocking state of affairs. It's a shocking uh, um, sort of miscarriage of justice, I, really. I'm stunned that it's had so yeah. little publicity. Until this story came to light, I was sort of unaware of mm. this campaign. Exactly. So it's, but it's so... So now we're aware of it, Julie. We'll do yeah. what we can to help you. And thank you so much for coming you, on and Julie, talking about and it. And, uh, and good luck with it. Thank you very much. It's very kind of you and, and the families really appreciate it. And thank you to all of our supporters who may be listening. Without you, we couldn't have done it. Oh, God exactly. they, they, they keep us strong. Thank you. Oh. Julie Hamilton, thank you very much thank indeed you. from Justice for the 21. I think this is pretty oh, disgusting behaviour from not just this government, but every previous government which has not granted the knowledge that these people deserve to have about how their uh, loved ones died. You know, it's 44 years ago. I it's absolutely shocking. can't understand why they're ignoring it. I mean, yeah. the IRA have actually admitted, yeah, we were involved. We have collective responsibility for the bombing. Yeah. But, you know, we're not going to tell you which one of us did it. It's absolutely that. awful. It's Dreadful. Just... The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. A lot of people tweeting on this one as well, of course. You can call us 203444991000. Neil says, uh, what other species on earth has such gender inequalities? It's freaking me out, this one, MG. Uh, Jake says, giving teenagers and young people hormones is chemical castration. Why would we allow people to chemically castrate under 18s? It's totally wrong and it's just child abuse, in my opinion. And Andy says, if there is only 1% of the total population identifying as the opposite sex, then surely this should not change public domestic arrangements for the 99%. I see a poster in a city advertising pizzas i don't like pizzas so that poster should be taken down That's a good point. i mean it is that kind of craziness that we're we're having to live with now i'm, I'm reading as well because uh, there's been a lot of coverage of the girl guys this week that the scottish government has apparently uh, made it clear that if parents oppose their child changing their sex teachers and school staff should report them to the local authorities that's just like, which well, is madness isn't it why can't schools just teach kids yeah like, exactly you know, i mean look I'm, I'm all for schools looking out for the kind of mental health of children of course, and all but... For, for, for but, but as our, our expert there Dr. Nicholas said, you know, they might sort of identify as a boy for all sorts of different reasons. Yeah, or, absolutely. or boys might identify as girls for all sorts of different reasons as well. Let's talk to John who's in South End. Hello, John. Hello, Mike. How are you Hi, doing? What, what do you want to tell us? Yeah, not so bad. Um, my question is, and I've thought this, asked this question for a long time, why is it that this tiny minority of people, that, you know, 
the trans transgender uh, lobby. Mm. Why is it that they are so powerful that they dictate and make cowed 99% of the population? Most people listening to that debate this morning about the Girls' Guides, most people would say that is crazy stuff. So why is it that this tiny minority are cowering the vast majority of people. Why is it? Well, because we live, I think, in these times, John, of diversity. I mean, I've got a a tweet here from somebody called Jake who's uh, who's retweeted West Yorkshire's police diversity, uh, sending out a message saying it's great to see girl guiding standing up for trans rights. I mean, they would say, well, because trans people have as much right to be whatever they want to be as everybody else. Mike, the majority of people know and understand that, you know, males using female toilets, which is now legal, if I say self-identify as a woman, that is just madness. Most people understand that. But why does not common sense not prevail? And why are the rest of us cowed by this tiny minority of people? It's a good question. It is a good question. It is a good question. And, John, I totally agree with you because, you know, women have been fighting to have their voices heard for over 100 years now. And Mm. we finally were getting somewhere. But now I feel as a woman, I don't have the right to have an opinion on this because I'm labelled uh, labelled transphobic, yeah. which I'm not. I'm really exactly. not. But, you know, they yeah. have the right to say whatever they want and shout me down. But me as a woman, I can't say anything. I think the problem is, John, that overall in our society now, we have a society of rights, OK? And not so much uh, responsibilities, but everybody's got rights now. Um, and unfortunately, because we opened the door for everybody to have rights... Some rights are now infringing upon other rights, mm. and nobody's quite yeah. sure what yeah. to do. And I yeah. feel my rights but, but, are disappearing but, but, again. Yeah. Exactly, but but we we don't seem to have the right anymore to say this is absolute madness. Yeah, because that makes that's a transphobic hate crime. Basically. Well, it might well be. I mean, I don't care what people are to be honest, but I can understand women feeling uncomfortable about men using their facilities, yeah. as I, it were. Look, I am fully sympathetic for for someone that feels like they are born in the wrong body. And I've got a good friend called Tallulah who was a boy and has completely transitioned into the most beautiful female you will ever see. Right. Proper, fully transitioned, the full works. And she is Physically stunning. as well. Physically. She mm. works as a model and she is gorgeous and she is lovely. And, you know, she's I've never seen her as happy as she is now. Absolutely, perfectly fine. And she has, you know, gone... And I would have no problem with Tallulah being in my female changing room because she is a woman. Mm. However, the self-identifying as a woman when you're still physically a male, I I do have issues. I I probably don't want to have issues. I want to be all-inclusive, but I do have issues with it. I'm sorry. Exactly. But but 99.9% of people in the country have issues with it. But the question remains, and I'll leave it in the air, is... Why can't we just say, look, shut up, this is damned nonsense. Now, you know, just behave yourself. Why can't we say that to this tiny, tiny... Well, because we're told that we have to be tolerant, uh, John, and I don't mind being tolerant, but I think a tolerance goes both ways, isn't it? Who who tells you to be tolerant? Well, I just think I should be tolerant. I mean, it's just part of being civilised. There's no point in being intolerant. Intolerance doesn't get you anywhere. And bizarrely, you know, what uh, Dawn was talking about, having that woman having to take a poster down, you know, for a tolerant group, they're very Uh, intolerant. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, that was a GP and an activist, by the way, that uh, demands it was taken down. 
I, I agree we should be tolerant. And for those who are genuinely, um, you know, uh, in, in need of transgendering, I absolutely am with that, fine. But why do we have to be tolerant to the point of being cowed? Does Theresa May, uh, a Christian, she says, um, does she really in her heart believe that uh, somebody can say on a Tuesday morning, I am a woman, uh, you know, although he was born male or so, and say, I am a woman, and that, you know, half an hour later, he is a woman. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's, 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 it's bizarre. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, 0344 499 1000. Uh, let's let's uh, get uh, to the next subject, though. Before we do that, Sean sent a, a tweet. He says, thank you for some common sense regarding the trans debate. 16 is a reasonable compromise for any hormones to be administered. Obviously, I see both sides, but the balance has swung too far, uh, says Sean. Thanks very much for that. You can tweet us, of course, at Talk Radio. Now, the next thing we're going to uh, bring up here uh, is a subject uh, which is always slightly worrying when you get new diseases entering the country. Now, uh, about two or three weeks ago, we saw a second case of monkeypox coming in. Uh, the two people that brought it into the country had come here from, I think it was Nigeria, Nigeria on the African yes. continent. Yeah. Um, and they were being cared for in hospitals up in the northwest of England. Yeah. Now it turns out that a hospital worker is the first person to catch monkeypox in the UK uh, and says that uh, it was the fault of NHS gloves which failed to protect her uh, when she was changing the bed, mm-hmm. uh, bedding in a Blackpool hospital. Mm-hmm. Let's talk to Lawrence, Dr Lawrence Buckman now, as a North London GP, uh, to find out if this is something we should be worried about. Dr Buckman, a very good um, uh, morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning. morning. Thank you very much. I mean, I know that this is uh, probably a very, very small outbreak of monkeypox. In fact, it's only the first person that's actually managed to to pick it up, it would seem, from from somebody who brought it in from another country. Um, Is it something we should worry about? No. No. (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. Thank you. You stand a one in 65 million chance of getting it. You are more likely to find a live frog in your bag of salad. Well, well, that does happen. You know, I know. One in 65 million. So I think the odds are pretty small mm. on you catching monkeypox sitting in your studio. Yes. Uh, I think it's well, unlikely. you haven't seen the microphone. I'll tell you, it's <laughs> filthy. Well, it could, it, maybe it could do with a wipe then. Um, <laughs> uh, the risks are tiny. This is a virus first described in monkeys in 1958. Um, it's very rare. It's actually rare in Africa, but yeah. it's really rare here. It's spread actually not by monkeys, but by rats. Um, You have to have the right kind of rat, and we don't have them in the UK. Mm. The only way you can spread it in the UK is by somebody touching an infected person or something the infected person has been on. Since the only two infected people are in an isolation hospital, and the only person that caught it was nursing them or looking after them in some way... I would have said the risks of any other human being getting it are nil. Well, her husband has also fallen ill, apparently. We don't know whether he's got it as well. Um, Well, he he may have it too, of course. That's possible. Yeah, but I mean, that's how these things spread, isn't it? And then somebody comes to visit them and they get it, you know. No, no, you really have to handle them. It's not even that isolated when people catch it in Africa. Um, They're they're careful to make sure they keep people at home, but people who care for them are told just to wash their hands, not even wear gloves. So realistically, the risk is vanishingly tiny that you would catch it other than in people who are direct 
and immediate contacts who would, of course, know that they were. Right. So the two people that brought it here, if you like, from Nigeria were presumably very unusual cases. I mean, it's... Un, it's they were of... extremely unusual. The number of imported cases carried by humans in the world is very small. Right. It's nearly all isolated outbreaks from exposure to infected rats. Um, and I, I think that the, the odds of that happening in the UK, I think, are nil. Coming in from West Africa, where, where this originates... Uh, it's certainly possible, but you wouldn't get it anywhere else in the world. Mm. So you're not going to get this going to America, say. You're just not going to pick it up there. How, how um, endemic it ha- is it in Africa? Is it quite common in Africa, in the West? No, Express? it's really unusual. Right. It's unusual in Africa. Yeah. So you, you, you've got to be in the jungle, exposed to infected monkeys and handling or exposed to infected rats mm. that have to walk over your, I mean, walk over your bed. I mean, this, you know, it's not going to happen in Birmingham. Well, you, you, you say that, but, I mean, I've heard these things said before, and the next thing you know, the next case is in Birmingham, just because you've said it. Uh, uh, but, you okay, know, right. the, the, the thing, no, how, how would people know if they had it? Right. You know you've got it um, if you have... Uh, it's a smallpox-like illness, but it's not an immediate relative of smallpox, and is much, much less dangerous. Um, and you know you had it. You aches and chills, headaches and fevers. Well, that can be any infection does mm. that. Mm. But then the thing that would set it apart, firstly, is that your lymph nodes swell, the mm. glands all over your body that protect you against infection. And that's relatively uncommon in, in viral infections, if it's widespread. Mm. And the next thing that happens is you get this very characteristic rash, which is the rash you get with all pox viruses. Uh, and there's a whole family of pox viruses, the most frightening of which is smallpox, which has been eradicated. Uh, uh, but there are other pox viruses that, that um, can affect people. Uh, the other viruses we see in this country, of course, are vaccinia, which is caught um, from handling infected cows uh, and is almost only ever farm workers and nobody else. So the, the risk of exposure to this particular virus, I thought, is very, very small. Mm. And it says here that it's a deadly bug. I mean, what what are the statistics about how many people it does uh, one actually in ten. kill? Right, so that's not actually one in ten. not that bad then, really, is it? Well, I mean, compared, to, compared to smallpox in the 70s, mm. um, one in ten is, is, you know, it's a frightening risk, but there, it's still relatively okay. small, and most people are going to recover, and there is treatment. Right, as I say, is there a cure for it? No, cure, no, treatment, mm. yes. Right, OK. Um, so you, you sort of you always have, have, have it, a special. Then. Pardon? You say you always have it then, even if you're sort of, uh, if it, if it goes into remission or something. Oh no, 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 no! It can be fixed, but you have to. Nature takes its course. It's it's a it naturally will die out in a human if the human is protected uh, from the worst effects of the virus. Yeah. And the way they're protected is given special uh, uh, vaccines and medicines to control it. Uh, and then nature will take its course and the virus will die and then you're okay, you're oh, over okay. it. All and right. is this like chicken pox and measles and things like that, where you only become infectious once you've actually developed the rash, or are you infectious before that? Uh, you're infectious during the 21 days you're incubating it, mm-hmm. and your infection rises. The, the key infection is from touching infected blisters, right. because you get blisters on the skin and those are highly contagious. So your risk of spreading it in the incubation stage, the three, two to three weeks incubation, the risk of spreading it then is very small. Right. Um, it's, really, it's really once you're visibly ill 
that your risk of infection rises, and that's in fact true of nearly all infections. Yes, yeah. sure. Yeah. I'd be more concerned about measles actually at the moment, to be honest, because well, there's a lot more measles I, I, around I, I, than monkeypox. I would be much more concerned about measles, and measles can also do horrible things to yeah. people. Yeah. which is why we why we encourage everybody to get vaccinated mm. so they don't get measles. Mm. Yeah, but the problem we got now, doctor, as you probably know better than I do, is that an awful lot of people have come to this country who do not have vaccinations yeah. against measles, and there's a big increase in measles in certain countries in Europe where they have not been vaccinated. Uh, that's absolutely true. Uh, and it's also true in this country that people come into this country, whether as visitors mm. or as, as uh, future residents, um, and they've not been vaccinated. And of course, they act as a nice little reservoir for measles. And I think it's the job of doctors and others to encourage them mm. to be vaccinated too. Measles is far more important to this country than monkeypox. Yes. No, I get that. Absolutely right. So, I mean, how can you tell if somebody's not been vaccinated, though? You don't know, do you? Well, you ask them. Well, you uh, can, but it's not the sort of thing you do, is it? <laughs> I don't go up to people on the tube and go, excuse me, have you been vaccinated against measles? It's something I ask them. Well, you're allowed to do job. that. You're a doctor. <laughs> it's my job to do yeah, that. Yeah, but you're I a doctor. I need to ask that question. Yeah, but if I start <laughs> doing it, I'll probably get arrested. Ah, oh, you certainly would be because it'd be an intrusion of privacy. But when it's in the context of a consultation or, more likely, a new patient registering in the practice, yes. uh, we're going to say to them, have you been vaccinated? Mm. And if they say they don't know, uh, if there's a serious concern, we'll do a blood test to find out if they have been vaccinated. You know, I can't remember if I've been. I must, I'm assuming I was vaccinated, you would have but been, I can't yeah. remember. Sure, you would have been. Yeah. What about, I mean, so, you, I mean, are you, you noticing a lot of people joining... Um, I don't know how much you know about other people's uh, surgeries, obviously, but are you noticing a lot of people joining uh, GP surgeries who haven't been vaccinated? There certainly is statistically a rise, because Public Health England tells us there is, yeah. a, rise, a rise in people who are not vaccinated, mm. but and they're, they're all, all come from abroad. Yeah. There, there is, sadly, also a rise of people not vaccinated in this country because several people take the view they don't want their kids vaccinated. Mm. Yeah. And that's, that's their choice to do that. But I would always say to them, what you're actually doing is generating a bigger reservoir of people who could get measles uh, and then and, and possibly die from well, it. Well, it's also down to um, that bloke who's now going out with El McPherson, isn't it? The guy who, uh, the one that who, who said, the told everybody that everybody. the MMR was a bad idea. Yes, yes um, he, he did nobody a favour. Um, and his, as you know, his evidence was fake. And um, he was struck off as a consequence of that. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of people were persuaded by him mm. um, that, MMR vaccine was a bad idea, and as a result, we've seen a rise in rubella cases, which doesn't matter unless you're a fetus, which means when you're born, uh, you're deaf, and other things can happen mm. to you as well. Uh, more German measles, uh, sorry, uh, uh, mumps, which can be very nasty in some people, right. and and measles, which can uh, was a killer and still sadly is a, an occasional killer. Mm. Yeah. Unbelievable stuff. Doctor, can, thanks can very much Can I just ask indeed. one more question, please, Oh, go on, Mike. then. You'll have to be quick, though. Yeah, it's a funny one. Consultation's uh, what, it's, over. I, I know, quickly, quickly. Time for the next if, patient. If it's more common <laughs> with, with rats spreading this disease, why isn't it called rat pox? Uh, because it was very first seen in monkeys, and they thought it was a, a primate illness that affected monkeys, and, and they worried about it affecting humans. And the fact is, it's generally monkeys that get it. Yeah. Um, Monkeypox sounds great as well. You like that, don't you? I do, yeah. yeah. Monkeypox has a sort of ring to it. It yeah. does. It's, yeah. yeah, it's great. Listen, Doctor, you'd be Thank very helpful. You. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> Dr. Lawrence Buckman. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. 
If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.